With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Y'all yeah, yeah. already know what time it is. It's that official time. When we take this worldwide. So now it's time to turn it up Surf the radio waves as we begin to burn it up We all up in your area like landscape Definitely bringing you the power slamming pancakes It's the mandate that you tune in It's time to move out so we can move in And recognize that this is no illusion I'm here to clear the air so that there is no confusion It all started off in the book of Genesis When Jacob was wrestling with who he thought was his nemesis And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him He touched his hip but he really could have devoured him and from that point, then we hear a name change, rearrange the game, so now we gotta change lanes. Uh, so I'm here to let you know it's time to listen to the Pancake and Power Slam show. Let's go! Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam show. Uh. Listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam show by Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. Episode 218, ladies and gentlemen, this is Chris Featherstone from Crave Wrestling Live in 11 Color, getting funky like a monkey, if you will. I love saying that every single week, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, it's a wonder every single time. This is Pancakes and Power Slam show. This is episode 218. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a packed show. Um, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot to talk about for all that's not very pleasing. But the good news is we are going to have, as of right now, the former general manager of Raw. His name was formerly Brad Maddox. Tyler, how are you tonight, sir? Hey, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to have you. Excellent. It's great to have you on the show. My name will always be Brad Maddox. It's like a presidential term. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's a very, um, I mean, that that name itself was is, is so catching for you. <laughs> who came up, who came up with that name? Oh, it was a very lengthy process. Uh, my first week at Florida Championship Wrestling before it was NXT, 
mm-hmm. they threw me in a match my very first week against uh, Rex, Tyler Rex, and uh, told me I needed a name. So I didn't have anything. I like Greg Maddox. So I went with Maddox, and then the the ring announcer, I forget her name, but she was gone shortly after. She said she came up and said, "You look like a Brad." So I went with I went with that. In that particular town. Yes, just like that. <laughs> like, oh, that's sexy. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So describe your time. Speaking of FCW, uh, I actually am uh, friends with Tyler. Um, he was one of uh, uh, one of our guess years ago, probably shoof, about three or so, three plus years ago. Um okay. we still have to keep in contact and um he he had a an interesting some some interesting stories about FCW about uh him, you know, wrestling in his feet. Uh what are some interesting stories that you can remember from FCW and also your time in uh Ohio <laughs> Valley Wrestling? Well, uh the F C the early well, I guess the late F C W days I don't know about the earlier FCW days, but when I got there, it was sort of like the Wild Wild West back mm-hmm. then. Uh, Dr. Tom was running things, and it was – he kind of lets you go out and be creative. You know, he lets you go out and do what you wanted, and sometimes it didn't work, and sometimes you you did really awesome stuff, and it was always fun was the main thing. Mm-hmm. It was always fun because you knew you could go out and kind of fuck around, and that's when you discover shit, you know? So – it was much less controlled back then, and I just remember having a blast every time. And I, I was very carny. I like to do all the dumbest shit I could think of, which probably wasn't even useful to any sort of growth or development, but I had fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, I, 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 was, I was out by the time it was kind of transforming into NXT, and I would hear not-so-fun stories from from the guys coming up after me, but I, I had a lot of fun in my time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. I think Joe forgot to tell you that's a PG show. Um, but yeah. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Jeez, not again. <laughs> I've done like 20 of these and they always encourage me to cut. <laughs> yeah. We're going to totally opposite, man. But, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, we're going to continue to have some fun, man. Not, not again is is uh, one of the best one-liners that I've heard from a rebound. I, that was absolutely. Amazing. Um, Please don't hang up. <laughs> no, not at all, man. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's that's very interesting. So, what actually uh, called you to to who actually was instrumental in your call up uh, to the uh, to the main roster? Uh, I really don't know. I didn't know much about it at the time, and I I really didn't find out much about it until it was too late. I think it was pro- – I, I don't know. I mean, this is pure conjecture, but it, it was probably a CM Punk or a Paul Heyman idea um, mm-hmm. because, because I, I kind of figured out afterwards that they just needed another way for CM Punk to win another match underhandedly. Um, and they really had no plans for me, and I didn't realize that at first. And, but by the time I figured it out, it was it was kind of too late. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know who handpicked me. I guess I was just the shortest, normalest, whitest guy that they could find on the roster, so they used me. <laughs> Perfect, uh, right place at the right time, man. Um, yeah. So so it wasn't so it wasn't a Danny Davis type of 
type of deal from the beginning. It was just let's just bring them up and let's just use them for this particular spot, huh? Yeah, I guess so. I I don't think Vince knew anything about me at all. I think they were going to give me the promo the following week uh, in England. And then I was going to get beat up by Ryback, and I think that was it. I think I did well enough in my first promo that Vince was like, okay, let's keep around and see what we have here. I think that's the only reason I even stayed up. I'm not sure. Yeah. So let's relive that Hell in a Cell match um, in, uh, a few years back. And and who came up with the call there? Because it seemed like it was one of those one of those times, one of those pivotal moments where Ryback uh, was just kind of thrust in the position because John Cena was injured, I believe, at the time. Yeah, and it was kind of it was kind of abrupt, and they were trying to figure out someone to put in that spot, and Ryback ended up having it. And Ryback, I would say that was probably the most over Ryback's ever been. He it was just infectious to the whole feed me more. And who really came up with the idea to? keep the title on Punk because I think that was really kind of the start of the finish of Ryback. Yeah, I always get credit for that. Um, <laughs> Perfect. I, 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 think that, I think that they weren't ready to go with him, but they wanted to. Um, and because Cena was out, it kind of forced that match, I guess. I, I don't know mm-hmm. why they felt they couldn't pull someone else into that spot, but I guess they felt they couldn't. Um, but they did not want Ryback to lose the match. They, they wanted to keep him undefeated. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't I don't know why that decision was made, but I was also thinking, I remember thinking at the time, that they really needed to have me go over somehow mm-hmm. on Ryback the following week, but now they wanted to keep him so strong. Yeah. And it, I, I, really, I really don't think that match did much for anyone. No, personally. no, it didn't. I, I agree with that. It really didn't do, do too much. Now, who came up with the idea to actually put you in the in the particular Hell in a Cell match? Uh, that's another one. I, I don't know. It's the, all the talking heads in their talking room um, came up with that one. They, they had the shield, an incarnation of the shield there that same day, and I guess they de- they decided to wait on them for another month and and go ahead and throw me in there and I'm not real sure why they swung one way or the other on that. Mm-hmm. Now was Lauren not as usually the guy who came up and, and and let you let you all know you know what's going on, what's going on was it Patterson was it Hayes who was usually the guy who came up and kind of uh, let you all know what, what was going on with particular particular evening. Is is it like TV and pay-per-view separate, or is the per- one person does TV and pay-per-views? How does that usually go? Everyone's always there for TVs and and pay-per-views, and Michael mm-hmm. Hayes is usually the 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 creative guy that does all the communicating for the for the big picture stuff. Um, okay. As far as I recall. It. So Hayes was the one who kind of uh, let you know your involvement in the match that that particular night. Yeah, it was it was really cool. They a, a couple of times a year they'll 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 pull out these big gigantic black curtains all around the ring, and they'll, mm-hmm. so they'll pull them down like a tarp, like they're um like like pest control or something. And so they he called me in there, and then we went through the match uh, in private. So that was that was pretty cool, and that that's how my oh, day nice. went before the pay per view started. That was one of the cooler experiences I'd 
I'd say I had. Sweet. So, so how was it working with CM Punk? Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, all my experiences with him were great. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he wasn't. He, he 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 wanted to do things right, and he always believed in, in putting on the best possible product. But he was a he was a cool guy. He didn't mm-hmm. he didn't put up with anything that he wasn't on the same page with. But I always thought he was a pretty normal, straightforward guy. Nice. Now Ryback, uh, yeah, he's both CM Punk and Ryback. Sim, uh, they share similar, I guess, um, uh, problems when it comes to the WWE. When it comes, you know, as far as creative direction and not being happy with the with the creative um, uh, influence or the creative direction in their careers. Uh, of course, we saw Ryback being the um, most recent. Uh, other than Cody Rhodes, but specifically Ryback being the most recent of the two uh, to share, you know, his his uh, problems that he have with creative. Now, did he share anything with you as far as I mean, because because it was kind of like a peak time uh, in his career. Uh, and then, like you said, when you and him went, uh, you know, against each other, and then they kind of, you know, Cena started to come back, and they just kind of started to push him further and further back. Did he ever express any frustration to you? Uh, no, not not at all. The only thing he'd ever say is every, every couple of months, like, well, if we're in the same arena or something, this is the place you ruined my career. But no, he <laughs> he didn't ever. I mean, everyone's that's the problem is is that there aren't enough. There are only so many spots, and there are a lot of talented yeah. guys. So everyone's yeah. gonna have problems. It's not like anyone's. Um, that gets everything that they want, and yeah. some guys are higher up on the pole than others, and it stinks when you're not at the top. But yeah. a lot of the guys are not at the top because there's only one or two spots at the top. Mm-hmm. Now, did you agree with Sam Punk and Ryback's uh, expression uh, of how they felt and and what how they decided to? Uh, you know, a lot of people say Sam Punk decided to take his ball and go home. Uh, kind of the same thing with Ryback. Would you have done it a different way? Uh, would you have been more vocal uh, if you were Ryback or CM Punk? Would you have been more vocal uh, to the, you know, the the kind of uh, the, the the influencers in the back? Would would that be your approach, or or would you have kind of kind of you know taken it in the chin, uh, kind of like what they did, and then be frustrated while they do that? Um, I, I don't fault anyone for reacting in any way to anything that happens in that company because it does get very frustrating and mm-hmm. communication gets very muddied and it, it, I think a lot of guys feel a little bit trapped uh, mm. almost like they can't, they can't defend themselves within the yeah. constructs of the, the company and so when you have a system like that you're <laughs> you're going to uh, continue to have outbursts um, and some of them are going to be more public than others, just depending on the frustration level of the performer. Um, but, I, I mean, that's just the system that they've set up, so they've got to deal with whatever happens, I guess. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, how was typically the environment uh, from a backstage perspective uh, you know, in that same vein? Um, I've interviewed many, many people on the show and, and many people who you know, were – 
recently released from the WWE and has spent some time in the WWE and a, a lot. It seems like the kind of the running thread is um, just the the atmosphere was 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 not as the, the grass was not greener on the other side from them having a big desire to be a part of the company than being in the company and it's not and not really being. You know, to their expectation, would you would you share that? Uh, do you feel the same way? Well, I think the the main disconnect is that you grow up watching Stone Cold or The Rock, and it seems super awesome. And then you exactly. get on the road, and you're tra- and you're traveling 300 days a year, and you have to drive 300 miles in between shows, and there's so much stress. And just just booking travel, just that by itself, just booking hotel rooms every night, booking cars, and paying for all your travel. I mean, it's a constant thing, and uh, I mean, I got I got caught up in it as well as I got I got sick of a lot of the aspects of it when I was there. And there's a lot of things that I miss now that I'm not there. And there's a lot of luxuries that you don't realize that you do have when you are there. And, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it, it's I don't know. Yeah, there, yeah, it's it's a little bit different once you're there than you think it will be. But I mean, everyone's kind of told what they're in for before they get mm-hmm. there anyways you just it's a it's one thing to hear about it and it's another thing to be traveling five days a week and it and it does just wear on you and you get a little bit tired of it and that's also part of the system is that you can't really take breaks especially if you get into a decent spot you got to right. stick it out and you got to ride it out until they're not riding you anymore because if you pull out unless you're cena or the undertaker you lose your spot so if you want to take a vacation good luck getting back into the rotation <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. So it's a little stressful in that regard as well. Mm-hmm. So you worked, one of the people you worked with uh, was Paul Heyman. And I'd imagine that uh, doing your time working with him, he, I would imagine that he gave you some, some good nuggets because he's one of the best talkers uh, that the that the wrestling business has ever witnessed. Were, were there anything in particular, any specific pointers that you remember him telling you during uh, your time working with them? Uh, I'm trying to, I talked to him a lot, and, and he really liked me, and I really appreciated my time with him. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of something in particular. The thing about him is he always finds a reason or a way to believe precisely in what he's saying. And I, I think that is a problem with a lot of the promos nowadays is guys don't – not only do they not n- – believe in what they're talking about they don't even know what they're talking about because it's not even their words and they're afraid so so paul is always um he he always makes sure that if he's if he's given a script that he's got to follow that he understands what he's doing and he makes it his own and that's one thing i loved watching about him is he got into it so he believed in it so he was more energetic in his delivery yeah and now yeah. And when you're in it and you've got the energy, then you can't, you really can't go wrong. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, now let, let's go with that a little bit. Now, how was usually the promos and, and I've read a raw script before and uh, the, the bullet points almost to the T and I, I've watched wrestling, you know, uh, all my life. And, uh, Spans of the, a few decades. Uh, I'm not that old, but uh, I'm in my mid thirties, and so it's I, I've seen the uh, I've seen the the then and now as far as the how much it, how much freedom was in a promo 
and I always used to say, and I and I say this now as a journalist, I've written this in so many articles. Back then in the '80s, your promo was your merch. Basically, yeah. what I mean by that is that you really had to sell yourself by the way you talked. And you know, mm-hmm. one of my favorite promo cutters was Road Warrior Hawk. You know, and you know, Animal would give him the alley oop and tell him Hawk, wow, you know, and. And and I used to love just the energy that came with Road Warrior Hawk's promo, and he used to sell it, just just randomly just tell stories. I was I was back in Chicago, you know, and I used to absolutely love that. But it doesn't seem like now people have that type of liberty. How was it usually with cutting promos? Are you handed a sheet and you really kind of have to follow it to the T? Explain a little bit of that of how uh, you know of how it, it's given to you. Uh, yeah, I think it depends on who you are, um, how much you go and talk to Vince ahead of time about it. But I, I mean, I wish I had every promo back that I ever <laughs> did on Raw or SmackDown um, because I was always handed uh, an exact word-for-word script. I mean, full pages written out and. Really? Wow. Back then, I I, I, I I kind of felt like I needed to go almost word for word on it. I mean, my first promo killed me because I was trying to memorize every word of it. And, and you know, it's not, you know, like you've got a few hours to memorize a page of words and try and make it seem at all genuine, which is not easy. Um, and and I, I would every now and then I started asking, well, do I have to say this exactly or, or can I say something? And they'd always say, well, they, this is written by Vince himself, so I, yeah, yeah, I would stick to it, you know. Wow. And, and back then, I didn't know enough to go just go to Vince and, uh, and and tell him what I did or what I didn't want to say or, you know, or even if you wanted to change something, you've got to think of that ahead of time and, and, and tell your writer, and they've got to write that down. So, yeah, it's very controlled. Wow. I just I just can't imagine just as a fan or even as a wrestler to want that type of control. Is it? Uh, why do you think the Vince uh, decides to just write the promos word for word? Is it something that is he afraid that someone will kind of do something that may offend or say something that may offend some stockholders? Is, is it more of a business decision for him now, or is it just? This is just what he wants to see. Um, I say I don't know how it used to be. I don't. I like I've heard stories of uh, a writer handing CM Punk a script and and Punk saying, "Oh, cool, thanks," and then balling it up and throwing it in their face and walking away. Yeah, I've heard that too. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if guys um, are more afraid of changing up. I don't really know. Uh, now, if you want to modify the script, do you, do you go to Vince himself or do you go to, you know, one of his ex or do you go, who, who do you, who, who usually goes to, who do you usually go to if you want some type of a, amendment to that word for word script? Uh, well, I like my first year. Or so I would, I would, Ask my writer, and then wait for them to go find Vince and and get in with him and okay some changes. But typically, I didn't even I tried not to even change anything. I just tried to memorize it. 
Man, mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> That's just astonishing I I... to me. I mean, it just really, it really is astonishing to me to be handed a script to memorize word for word and expect to get some feelings and your own type of flair from it. I just, I to me, it's just mind-boggling to to even imagine that. To to be honest with you, and and how many writers are on the staff now? I, I've I've heard many. Many anywhere from twenty to thirty is that is that pretty accurate? <laughs> There's really no telling. I don't know. There's a bunch, and they would be interchangeable depending on the week or the month. Hmm. So is the turnaround for the writers pretty pretty heavy there? I'm sorry, turnaround. Um, for the writer for the writing staff, yeah, is the turnaround pretty heavy. Sort of, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, and I don't know. I don't. I would never know what happened to these guys. I, I don't know if they would get sick of it, and quit, or what. I know they were frustrated as well because everything mm-hmm. has to be run through Vince or through Hunter, and yeah. so they they didn't have a lot of freedom themselves. It's not like they were like, I don't want to call them not, like not real writers. I'm sure they're very talented, but they they didn't really have a whole a whole lot of job to do other than kind of run back and forth between performer and Vince. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't even have a lot of liberty to do their job because it still had to be ran through Vince or or Hunter. Wow, that's that's very interesting stuff. So uh, who – how did the raw GM thing come along? Who, who, you know, who idea – whose idea was it? Why were you picked? How did that come along? Uh, that's another one of those things. At the, at the start of my career, I wasn't talking to Vince a whole lot, and I don't really know how it came about. Uh, I don't know who first decided I should be assistant general manager, and then I, I, I don't I don't really know any of that because I that that was the time when I just kind of communicated with my writer and asked them questions and they didn't really know answers either. And they'd come back and tell me things and, uh, we might be doing this wow. soon or, okay, we're doing this today. And, and that's, that's one of the main problems that I had. And probably a lot of the guys have is not talking to Vince enough. And that's, that's something I, I figured out when I'd had enough, but it was kind of like, I, I didn't catch the wave when I was at the top of it. Yeah. I kind of crashed and then, and then tried to create another wave and it was too little too late, but, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how now, it you went say, for me. Now, when you say your writer is a, you know, are wrestlers assigned to specific writers? How, how does that go? Yeah, yeah, we we all have our own writers, or, or a writer would have a couple of guys that you communicate with, and and then they would talk to like a, a head writer, and then the head writer would talk to Hayes or to Vince directly. There were several le- uh, layers to go through, several layers. And I, and none of it ever worked in in my estimation. So there mm-hmm. there came a time when I decided I'm 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 gonna only talk to Vince or I'm gonna talk to to no one. Yeah. Um, because because there's there's so many layers and you never really get straight answers on any one of those layers. So it, so it's like a game of telephone, but everyone's trying to relay the wrong message. So it, wow. it gets very complicated. Now, does that draw? Did that ever draw you heat, or does that typically draw a wrestler heat when they go straight from themselves to Vince and they don't don't follow the chain of command? No, I don't think so. Because all you gotta do is is get Vince on board with the right idea, and they do whatever you and or Vince says. 
so I, I don't think I ever got beat. I, I don't think I ever. I mean, there's a right way of going about it. I mean, I I talk to the writers and tell them I want I want to go to events, you know, and mm-hmm. explain the reasons why. So I don't, if I did get heat, I, I don't. It's as long as you get two vents, and I don't think it really matters because Vince likes the guys to come and knock on his door, you know. And I don't think he gets very many of those guys anymore. I mean, at this at this point, I I think he's pulled back a little bit from the action, but um, um. He he definitely. I, I was pleasantly surprised that once I started knocking on his door, how fun it was to talk to him. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of the 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 thoughts is that it's it's scary to talk to Vince. It's not at all. Do you think that uh, his? Do you think that his thoughts or do you think that his way of doing things is outdated? Hmm. I mean, I think things could be a little more efficient, but it's, I mean, it's live television, I guess, you know, it's, it's not easy and you do want to have some measure of control over it. But so, I mean, the whole thing's tough when you go live, you know, you give out exactly what you want to hear, but then the guy's got to, uh, the performer's got to memorize a script, which, you know, you really should have a day or two to sit on and then, and then translate in, to what it means to you and, and then deliver the promo, but you, instead you've got two or three hours. So it is a tough system. And I, I think that there were periods where they would try to um, uh, make the chain of communication a little bit better, but then they would kind of always just revert back to, uh, we got to go ask Vince. And, and I don't think, I mean, in my, in my time there, things never really changed. And I, and I don't know how they are at this point. Now, why were you, why was your stint as a Raw GM so short lived? Uh, well, it actually hung in there for quite a while. Um, I don't know how long I was technically GM, but I was after a while. I mean, it just coincided with with uh, Hunter doing his storyline with Daniel Bryan, and it right. I, I don't know. It, it seemed to me like the, like he was trying to create the new. Vince versus Stone Cold gimmick sort of thing. So he was running things and the authority popped up and him and Steph were running things and so there was just really no need for me or for uh, Vicky. And so we were both actually just not even on TV in our GM roles for months and months and months and months and then they finally put me back on just to blame something stupid on me and fire me. Right. Um, But it just, there just really wasn't a, a point because of the the whole authority angle. Now, were you frustrated that you didn't get exposure in TV time then, or were you just kind of sitting back waiting for the the right call? Uh, how were you, how did you feel at that time? Uh, I was doing everything wrong at that time. Mm-hmm. I was a not going to Vince, not communicating with the right people, and b I was not appreciating the role and the spot that I had. I mean, right from the get go. I mean, I hated the referee thing. I absolutely despise that because they gave me referee duties throughout the day as well. And I'm like, I've been a freaking professional wrestler for six years now. And they knew that when they brought me up. So I, I hated that from the start. And then the GM thing was cool, but I always was like, I, I, I want to start wrestling. When can I start wrestling? And I, I definitely took for granted being in rooms with, and doing backstages and live 
shots with Vince and Triple H and Stephanie and all the biggest names on the show and in the history of the company. And uh, I guess it had I had a not that I had a bad attitude or or I mean I at times I guess I did I tried not to let anyone anyone see it but I wasn't to it as I could have been or. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I could have relaxed a little more with the role because at times I tried to make more than what was there with the role, and then I get in trouble for that. So, I, I mean, I, I don't wish I had it over because I'm happy where I'm at now. But um, I, I definitely do things the right way when I was mm-hmm. when I was in the moment. Interesting. Now you talk about big names. Like, what? Uh, who was the biggest name to you that you had to sp- that you actually got to spend time with and kind of? Set under the learning tree, so to speak. Um, I I guess Paul would be the guy that the the biggest, the wisest man that I spent the most time with. I mean, I I, I had a time where me and Daniel Bryan and Vince had a live thing, and so we we rehearsed it in his uh, office bathroom. That was that was pretty funny. Uh, but I, I didn't. It's not like I spent much time with Vince or, or Hunter at the time. So I guess it would just probably. In, just in yeah, it would be Paul. <laughs> yeah, we, we walk in there. All of us walk in there with our with our writers, and and they knock on the door. Uh, is Vince in here? And and there's another writer in in the office. Like, yeah, come on in. He's in the bathroom. He, he wants you going in. They're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and we proceeded to Vince's bathroom to go over the opening of Raw. Perfect. <laughs> now, on the contrast, who was the most difficult person you worked with? Uh, I mean, there were a couple of guys that I don't prefer as human beings. Um, I mean, I don't want to point anyone out because I don't have any mm. lingering feelings. But for the most part, I will say that it's it's a cool locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a bunch of cool guys, and and there aren't many people that anyone even has a problem with it was it, it was a bunch of cool guys oh brad is being evasive so okay you don't want to point anyone out and i can respect that now can you can you name a specific time uh and you can do something like rhymes with ad and you know sounds like brad ox you know something like that that you don't necessarily have to say the particular person, but can you remember a specific backstage incident that rubbed you the wrong way? Uh, you mean like with one of the boys or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, every now and then Randy would get angry about something in a match. And um, I remember a few incidences when I was a re- referee, so I was in gorilla a lot of the time, and a few times he would say things or threaten other guys, uh, like right there in gorilla, and I'd kind of be standing there like with my eyes wide open, not believing that he's saying this in front of like all the producers in the same room and Vince in the same room, and no one's hearing it, and I was kind of amazed by that. Um, I didn't, I didn't really have any personal problems with anyone. Interesting stuff. So they tried to put you in a in a team with Adam Rose. What was the thought behind that? Oh, that was me and Adam were trying to do something. We didn't know what. 
um, that we kind of yeah we kind of did that on our on our own. We figured hey mm. we both we both look good. We're both not being used. We'll try different things. They range from dumb to dumber. <laughs> uh, we mainly wanted to have fun on the house shows, and we were writing together for a little bit. So uh, we tried to simplify it and just get the easiest, dumbest thing that we could on TV so that they could bite into it and not go over their heads. And, yeah. Uh, we tried We tried a couple of things, and we were actually, the day I got fired, uh, we had actually gone into Vince's office and gotten an okay on on something which is why it was all the more that surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? We could have been lingering tag team for a few years before heading elsewhere. Yeah, that's true. So what would, I mean, you know, we, we all know about the release and how it happened and it just seems so abrupt and it's, uh, it just seems so petty, you know, to me, to be honest, but, um, yeah. you know, is, is, is that something that, uh, has anybody ever, I mean, since the release, has anybody from the WWE reached out to you and just to see how you're doing? Or, I mean, not, I mean, not, not any type of, not any person that you know specifically from the WWE, like one of your peers, but has any of the, you know, executive, any of the, the higher ups reached out to you yet? Oh, no, no, hmm. I have. I've heard from my friends, but nah, they they could care less. Wow! So it's just you're gone, and you know you're just another number. That's uh, very very uh, unfortunate, actually. I mean, I'm, so, I'm, yeah, I'm sure there are I'm sure there are worse stories than mine of oh, guys yeah, in actual yeah, trouble definitely. when they got out not not getting any help. But it's a tough business, you know. You work yeah. all your life to get to one spot, and then you're spending all your money on traveling and it's tough to save anything and then you get released one day and you've got nothing saved because you spent all your life uh savings trying to get there Mm -hmm. a little bit rough so what are your current endeavors uh currently i'm in i've moved out to los angeles and i'm uh trying to get out in the world of acting nice i I mean that's to me, that's a perfect fit for you. That's certainly. So, any uh, any wrestling gigs nowadays? Uh, no, I don't have anything on the horizon. I keep thinking I will, but I just it kind of took it out of me being there. Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I I would still enjoy it, I know, but I'm just I'm just really focused on acting right now. I'm in some acting classes. I actually stepped stepped out of a class to do your show. And oh, I, I do that m- most nights of the week, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So it's taken up all of my uh, all, of my, all of my concentration, and I'm having I'm having a lot of fun with it. Awesome. Best wishes to you, man. Where where can uh, people find find you? Social media. Uh, I guess my Twitter handle is still Brad Maddox is WWE. Mm-hmm. I try to tweet when I can, <laughs> and my Instagram is Brad Maddox. And at some point, I'll have to change those. Yeah. <laughs> but until then, hey, Brad Maddox is WWE, so uh, that's good stuff, man. We really appreciate you uh, being on the show, and uh, great stuff. Yeah. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you, for, thank you for having me. Awesome. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye.
Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. Four corners, three. Our mind. Let's go. The whole squad is making it clear. We taking this year. You know who we are, but you don't know why we here. So this is where the big boys play. These big boys play like who defies the living God. Get out the big boys way. Outsiders with the swoop in. We live as kings. You see in us, but our third man waits in the wings. And when the time is right, we shock him with the proper attack. I go for dolo, but ain't solo. Cut the promo in black. Hollywood Hendrix Prizzle pinning them. To the man, I'm that one again with the strength of a hundred men. With one intent to see the will fulfilled of the one who sent his son to give himself. But you rap about your gas and your rags torture. White coffins when I drop a bomb. My mic's awesome, never lost faith. You in all space, you can all skate, suffer, but never cripple. No bin walls in my cross face. From here to Saturday, Raven, anticipating. I was frostbit, now I am glacier, mixed with some Vader. Get to hawking with these animals using. God for my defense in Alabama We jamming, that's beautiful Bobby Eaton, me and Priest We the dangerous alliance, nah, the Harlem Heat Tie the do-rag before we do battle You're talking shit, you are what you speak This too sweet Till the number is just back We repping that wolf pack The foundation shaking, no mistaking Yeah, we shook that Trust in God, we trust Pushing forward, never look back Meekness ain't at all weakness Some people mistook that Stamping out this crook rap He turning the power we're on, on the razor's edge, leg drop after a power bomb. Tired of the lies, man. We bringing the truth through. Diligent and fruitful, the owners in our group too. It's good to be king. Sold out this war is brutal. We playing them war games. Our army go move too. You crew, I'm in the Raptors with a bat in my hand. And stand to shatter all your plans so they don't matter. And the grand scheme is that easy. We tag teaming, Steiner brothers, we love it, demand the win, establish it, this the clash of the champions. <laughs> this is where the big boys play, huh? We ain't here to play. Once again, we'd like to thank Brad Maddox uh, for the wonderful interview. Thank you so much for spending time uh, and taking time away from uh, acting class to be on the show live. So the good stuff, man. really appreciate the stories. Without further ado, we got a lot to talk about. So let's bring on the guest host for this evening from AngryMarks.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Juan, Juan right? Steve Juan? Yes, Juan, actually. That's close Juan. enough. Juan, Steve Juan. Good good to have you tonight, sir. It's a pleasure. Hey, I had fun listening to Brad Maddox. I thought that guy never really got a fair shake in WWE, so it was cool to hear his perspective on things. I agree, man. It, I, I definitely think that he would have been. I mean, we've seen it. it. It just seems like. I mean, even with the. I mean, he he didn't have a lot of experience per se, but he was just a natural. He had that jerky type of character, and it, and it fit him perfectly. Yeah, there was definitely a role for him if he was used as an effective heel manager or manager or piece or any type of position where he could have gone out there and been what you said, basically a jerk, but they didn't ever use him to that full potential. Yeah, I agree. So before we get into raw uh, and um, just uh, what that unfortunately uh, provided us um, the week tonight at the end of the show would be uh, Steve and I uh, discussed uh, earlier today. Uh, we have a mock draft. So Raw and SmackDown, 10, 10 apiece. 
um, and we're going to, to go with that and have some fun with that. But uh, let's talk a couple things. One, uh, the game seven last night. Uh, this this has to be a discussion piece uh, for my show tonight. That was such an amazing series. I tell you what, I'm a big Bulls fan, um, but I'm a big Steph Curry supporter. And it was just really amazing to see just how awesome that series between Golden State and Oklahoma City was. I mean, it just really – I love sports. I write for Sports Illustrated. I love sports. I follow just about every sport. Um, but just as a Bulls fan, it gets kind of tough to really keep my desire, keep my motivation in NBA. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, it, watching that series really invigorated and revived just my passion to be an NBA fan. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, well, if you love the NBA and you love b-ball, that's the series you want to talk about right now because mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine how the NBA Finals are going to top that. I mean, yeah. this, this, this series, this seven-game series was – in many respects, the NBA championship personified. It's like, it's a shame that they have to be in the same conference and can't be playing for the title right now because yeah. you, when you want when you want to talk about what the NBA is all about, you want to talk about the Warriors being the team to beat, being the team that everybody expected to emerge on top after the record-setting season they have. You mentioned the Bulls record. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that. They came out like a house of fire, and they were expected to just burn their way through everything on their march to the trophy. But it didn't work out like that. It, it didn't come out like that. You know, the yeah. Thunder, they, they've been this quiet team from Oklahoma City that's always good and never gets the respect they deserve for that. And this was the year they decided to really make that statement, like, you wanted to anoint these, the Golden Boys, no pun intended, we're here to tell you a little different. We're going to make them go to seven and work for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I couldn't have said it any better. And they were the quiet storm. Okay, see, well, you know, they were the quiet storm. And they, like you said, they, you know, they, they've been consistently a good team. Uh, but, you know, they just really couldn't make it to the, the, the threshold of, of going, you know, um, as far as they did this year. But, you know, I think the, the negative of that, though, is that we may see the team dissolve. Uh, there's a lot of talks that Durant probably won't be back next year. So I yeah, think, I'm gonna, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that if if any year, you know, was the year to do it, it, it would have been this year because uh, there's a high probability that we won't see the same OKC team again next year. No, but that's the reality of any team that gets large in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, anywhere. You get stars on that team, and they're either A, going to retire, or B, be made a better offer to go somewhere else. You can't, mm-hmm. no matter how good the nucleus of a team is, you can't keep them together forever. It's not going to happen. There's, you know, egos getting away. You're going to have the whole you know, what happened basically in the Lakers' heyday when it was LeBron and Jack. You know, those egos were too big to coincide with each other, and sooner or later they were going to have to be pulled apart. Exactly. That's that's absolutely right. The other big topic uh, that, that's that been buzzing like crazy uh, within the past week, uh, specifically the past few days, 
uh, is the uh, the the junior the, the super juniors uh, match between Ricochet and Will Osprey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think Vader stirred that pot up a little bit. Good old Big Man Vader. Yep. Sure did. Yeah, he lit a fire uh, under that match, and not necessarily a good way for him. Um, but at the same time, it generated so much buzz, um, and it was kind of like <laughs> kind of like backfiring Vader's Vader's end because I don't think I mean the match. I, I watched the match in, in, in its entirety. Um, but here's the thing, you know, we in New Japan, I love New Japan, um, and I love to see that type of style that comes with uh, gaijin wrestlers um, because, you know, you – a lot of times – I mean, people like Kushida and, you know, people like that, they kind of bring that more – uh, the more high flying style for the for the junior heavyweight division, but people like Osprey, people like Ricochet, uh, you know, and uh, Matt Seidel, you know, they really bring the American style uh, into New Japan from a junior heavyweight perspective. A lot of high flying, and I'll tell you what, man, that match <laughs> it, it deserves the buzz. Um, not necessarily the way that it that it uh, came about, but I think at the end of the day, it deserved the buzz. I have conflicting thoughts about it, but uh, as far as the match itself, but before before I go into my thoughts, I would like to hear yours about it. Well, you know what? I'm actually going to use a little bit of an NBA analogy because during Game 7, I saw some of my friends that were just absolutely livid on Twitter, and they were lighting it up saying things like, three-pointers are garbage, and Stephen Curry is garbage, and anybody that thinks three-pointers are the way to go should go back to playing chain-link basketball in the high school and and just forget about the NBA because that's not real basketball. I'm like... Who cares what you think if that's your opinion because it's a valid way to play. It's a way to score points. It's a way to win games. Whether you like it or not, whether it moves you as a fan, three-pointers are a real part of the game and they exist. And I liken Wilson and Ricochet to the exact same thing. Vader gets on his high horse like, this isn't real wrestling. This is flippy-doo bull, bull squat. I, I remembered we're PG here, so I censored myself. But he, he thinks that it's not real wrestling. It's not the way to go. And the problem is that attitude is out of step with the times that we're living in right now because that kind of wrestling is what fans enjoy. And just because he can't see the story in it doesn't mean there isn't a story there. I'm not saying that you can't have – a three-point competition with guys just standing there shooting three-pointers that means nothing. And I'm not saying you can't have a wrestling match with a guy just doing a bunch of flips off the ropes that mean nothing. But when the game's on the line and Steph has the ball and he's shooting the three, you know it's special. And that, to mm-hmm. me, is Law Spray and Ricochet. Yeah. Man, I, th- I think that you're uh, batting a 1,000 tonight, man. I here, here's, here's, here's my thoughts on it. Um, you know, I'm a traditionalist. I, I, I'm i so used to wrestling. Here's the thing. Wrestling is always going to be definitive baby face, definitive heel, black and white, a story being built to a climactical, you know, ending 
where the good guy gets, you know, gets his revenge. I mean, that is professional wrestling to me, and that's what I am so used to, and that's what I believe that it should never deviate from. I think the problem is, is that it's deviated from that for so much that that's where the viewership is losing. That's that's where people are so used to being just surrounded around a story and the psychology of it. But here's the thing. A lot of people say, you know, this is a professional wrestling, and I and I don't necessarily agree with that statement because if you think about it, you know, WrestleMania three, that's that's my checkpoint, that's my specific moment here when I when I think about wrestling, and I and I've written I've, I've written an article um, about this that you know Hogan and Andre they put the ninety three thousand people in the seats. However, the best match on the night is was Savage and Steamboat. And so oh, yeah. for, for every Hogan and Andre, you need a Savage and a Steamboat to prepare yourself for Hogan and Andre. So that's where my, that's where my philosophy is. For instance, the, the, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s, early 90s, you remember the Intercontinental title as being the workhorse championship. So that means that, you know, most of the times when you would have the Intercontinental title on the card, that would be the most active, the most, you know, uh, engaging match of the night. That, that wasn't the main event match. That wasn't the match that necessarily drew everyone to the house. However, it was, the, it was an important part of the entire card. And... That's how I feel about that. I wouldn't say that Will Osprey and Ricochet was a main event match. It shouldn't have been in the main event. It wasn't. Um, but at the same time, I think that that uh, I, I think that you know we can't forget about the tradition of the workhorse match. It's you know it's more animated now. You know you know thirty years later. However, we can't. Being a, we can't be in a mentality that this type of match never existed because you can really see a lot of mirroring things as far as the psychology being in the actual match, the, the, the movements and the, and the cadence of the match. We can see that in a lot of intercontinental title matches. Even the, uh, you know, another, another intercontinental title just popped in my head was the ladder match, uh, you know, between Michaels and Razor. Uh, that was uh, another workhorse match that told a story with all of the moves, uh, you know, within the match. So we can't we can't get away from that. That this existed. I mean, it's it's elevated, you know, to a to an nth degree now with Osprey and Ricochet. But we can't get to the point where we say that this type of match never existed. It, it didn't exist as as intense as it is now. But at the same time, we still saw workhorse matches even in the 80s. Oh, I agree 1,000%. It's it's a naivete to claim that the only kind of wrestling that works is mat-based, headlock, heavy set, Greco-Roman style, just two guys working each other with holds and taking things down to the mat. There have always been high flyers in wrestling going mm-hmm. back even as far as the 1950s. You could find old matches that aired on the Dumont Network and you could see people flying around the ring. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, I think uh, I think that's that's it right there. 
And you know, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's I'm a traditionalist. I, I'm I'm a big fan of the um, you know, of the story behind it. But you know, again, like we like we're both saying, we we can't just dismiss. You know this type of match is if it's unique. If this isn't a unique match, you know this this type of match. It's it's been going on like you said for for a span of multiple multiple decades. So good stuff about that. And of course, I've had a record. I think if if you don't mind me jumping in, I also think no, 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 no. every promotion has their own unique style that's suitable to them. And what mm-hmm. Vader is reacting to is a New Japan match that's suitable to a New Japan audience. And if mm-hmm. that doesn't seem appropriate to him, it's because it's of context. You said earlier that that wouldn't be the main event of a WWE show, and you're right. But in the context of the best of the Super Juniors, that match is an ideal main event for that kind of show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and that's And that's what the... That's what the event's for, you know, is to is to showcase the the super juniors, um, and that's the reason why this match, you know, was in the place that it was and deserved to be in the place that it was. I'll tell you what, if I was booking a super juniors card, I would want this match to be the main event because if I'm trying yeah. to showcase the super junior division, this match is the match that I want to showcase it with, <laughs> without without a doubt. Now, you know, would I put this on a match, you know, would I put this on a main event for, like, SummerSlam or something like that? No. But those, that's apples and oranges. Because, you know, if, if, if the WWE, you know, they're, they're doing the whole Global Cruiserweight Series now. So I would imagine, I would imagine that they would want a match like this, you know, between, like, TJ Perkins and Johnny Gargano, you know. Yeah. And I think, and I think that, they would want that. I think if they have that, you know, if they have a conclusion, an NXT special, that's a conclusion of the Global Cruiserweight series, they would want a match that looked very much like that to generate the same buzz. Because right now, as far as cruiserweights and, and junior heavyweights are concerned, this, this match here between Osprey and Ricochet, it set the bar of what everybody should expect when it comes to that particular division. Oh, I agree. And if it weren't for the fact that Ricochet is under contract with Lucha Underground and Osprey is under contract with New Japan, those guys would be in the Cruiserweight Classic, and they would probably be having that exact match on one of those cards. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And Vince McMahon would probably, you know, almost have a heart attack, and Triple H would probably be, you know, grinning from ear to ear. Uh, not at Vince's heart attack, but at the uh, reaction of the uh, of the night, uh, for sure. So, you know, it's you know, again, it's just it's just perspective. It's, it's just where you place it. It's just you know, you, you can't, you know. I I think I think we're I think we're driving the point that you know this match is unique for its particular point. I think it I think it served its purpose. I think it proved the point that it was supposed to be on. It was Super Juniors. It was the best representation of the Super Juniors. And this is something this is a bar that's been set from this for this division. I mean WWE can't come around now and, you know, give us some type of global cruiserweight series and try to dumb down, you know, the people who are involved because, you know, I talked to Gargano, you know, I've, I've actually talked to Ricochet. I, both Gargano and Ricochet have been on my show before, and I've seen a lot of their matches, you know, pre-WWE. 
and both of them, well, you know, Gargano's in WWE, NXT now, and Ricochet, there's been a lot of, you know, talk that uh, he may be coming around uh, post-Lucha Underground, but I've seen their matches before, you know, now, and before they really had the opportunity, and both of them can go. Both of them put everything into the match, and they can tear the house down. They've done it many, many times, and and I really think that this match set the bar for what we should expect. The WWE would do the fans such a disservice to have a global cruiserweight series and give us some dumbed down catch-as-catch-can matches on any type of card. That would be such an injustice for what the division should represent. That's absolutely true. But you're never going to please all of the people all of the time because yeah. you're going to get people who are going to look at this tournament and they're going to say, why isn't Kota Ibushi in it? Why isn't Kushida in it? Why isn't Will Ospreay in it? They're, people are going to find something to pick and add and bitch and moan about no matter what you do, no matter how many top stars from the world they bring in to be a part of this thing. People are yeah. still going to find a reason to say not as good as New Japan. People will will doom it to fail before it starts. Some people are just negative like that. That's true. That's very true. And, and that's unfortunate, too. And that's the reason why, you know, that's a good point, too, because that's how I feel about the split. I am giddy. I am absolutely giddy um, about the split, and I haven't felt this type of excitement as a fan Um for so long. I mean, as a journalist and as a as a radio show host, there's so much that there will be so much material to talk about. And as a fan, this to me, it's hitting the reset button. It it, it just it just boggles my, it just, it just boggles my mind. To, uh, you, you took the trigger though with the words "hitting the reset button" because that's a Vince Russo special in my mind. <laughs> oh yeah, as far as the the new uh, the new blood versus the millionaires club, not not that yeah. type of reset button. No, we, we don't want that. No, 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 no. We don't we don't want everybody we don't want everybody confiscating their titles in the middle of the ring uh, while while the roster is in the ring. We we certainly don't want that. That was uh, I remember that on, on Nitro. That was that was really rough to endure when when they when they did that. The Millions Club of New Breed, and everybody had to give up their titles. I had no idea what the point of that was. That was that was now that reset button we don't want to see. <laughs> but no, absolutely the, not. No, um, but at the same time, I, when I'm when I think of reset button, it's one of those things that you know, for the most part, over the past I'd say at least five solid years, uh, probably even more, most likely even more, but at least for the past five solid years. Um, there hasn't been much of the product to really be happy about. Uh, I would say the the advent of Daniel Bryan, as far as being at the position of popularity that he deserves. Um, but other than that, there hasn't really been, other than the yes movement, there hasn't really been anything that's really kind of uh, ascended, you know, what mediocre looking at best. And you know, and I, and I think with all of the criticisms that people give the product, which most of the criticisms are, you know, 
you know, they 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 are they they are created. You know, they 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 are you know kind of self-imposed by the WWE, and it, and it makes sense. But at the same time, you know, what gets me are the people who complain about the product so much and saying this is horrible, this sucks, this is bad, this is this and that, and then they complain about the split. And so my, you know, when I think about that, I'm thinking like, okay, so you're complaining about the product. You can't stand the product. If Roman Reigns stays champ for another month, you're going to cancel your WWE subscription. But now you have an opportunity to have two distinct rosters. You have the opportunity to just totally reset everything from a bad booking perspective. And you still complain about it. So my thing is, why do you even watch wrestling if you can complain about the current state, they're changing. They're totally doing an overhaul on the current state, and you're still complaining about that. That's that's what I don't get. That's that's my that's my gripe when it comes to just complaining all the time and being negative. Kind of like what you're saying as far as you're not going to please everyone. That's what just kind of surprises me of saying, why are you complaining about the split and complaining about the the product at the same time, and you haven't even experience the split yet and i believe that this is this could be potentially the best split that we've ever had because like i've said before on my show we've never had a live smackdown brand split you know smackdown always had the disadvantage to to a certain to a certain point because it was taped now it's a balanced, you know, Monday Raw, Tuesday SmackDown. They're both live. We can't read any spoilers of people who went to SmackDown or, you know, an edge money in the bank cash and against the Undertaker. We can't. We don't get any of that now because it's both live. So I'm, I'm, my expectations are uh, modestly high, or you know, because you know I don't want to. It's still the same writing staff, unfortunately. But at the same right. time, I think it does still present an opportunity to become, you know, better than what we see now. And that's, you know, I guess I had to lower my standards because of what we've been experiencing for so long. But at least I think it will give us something better than what we see now. I think that a lot of people are tempering their reaction and tempering their excitement because two things. One, we see a brand split in the 2000s. It didn't go as well as it could have. They had good ideas. They had good intentions. But when SmackDown was suffering in the ratings and people weren't going to the live SmackDown pay-per-views and the live SmackDown house shows and the audience just didn't seem enthusiastic, they started to slowly let it creep away and just fall apart. They just eventually decided we need the stars from Raw to be on SmackDown. Mm -hmm. And once they started doing that, then the idea of two separate brands completely disappeared. Nobody bought into it anymore. Once the guys from Raw were on SmackDown and the guys from SmackDown were on Raw. That's one reason people are skeptical. And the other thing that I think is tempering enthusiasm about this brand split is what you talked about. The fact that it's going to be live on Tuesday nights. And if you're a hardcore 
dedicated WWE viewer than any weekend where there is a live pay-per-view event. You're talking about four hours, including the pre-show, of live television. Then another yeah. three hours of live television on Monday. Then another two hours of live television on Tuesday. And then NXT, if you're watching the network on Wednesday. And if you're that hardcore, mm-hmm. you probably are. So I think a lot of people are reacting to the overkill as much as anything. Yeah. You know, I'm not a big fan of it being on Tuesdays, but I, I get it, though. You know, um, because of the production, you know, I, I think from a from a production standpoint, you don't want to, you know, leave and then go, you know, from especially from a pay-per-view, from a Sunday, you have to, you know, take everything with you from a production of the truck and then unload it and then load it back, you know, for like a Wednesday or a Thursday night. So I get it from that sense. And, it, and even from, and you make a good point as far as just, how the split just really kind of faded out when Raw superstars were starting to appear on SmackDown. But I was such a huge fan of the initial concept because it created so many. I mean, a lot of people, and I've, and I've you know, listened to a lot of commentary, read a lot of commentary, looked at a lot of you know comments about this. I and and I, the comment thread that I see is that a lot of people forget about how amazing the brand split was initially, you know, when people like Paul Heyman, you know, was at the helm of, of writing for SmackDown. It was, you know, and, and you know, you've even, even in docum- documentaries, you know, Triple H and Paul Heyman talk about how Vince is so competitive that he actually was thrilled when Raw and SmackDown competed against each other. And I think when you saw that, is when SmackDown started to creep up and start being that A show. And it, it created so many stars. I mean, if you think about it, Batista, John Cena, uh, you know, Edge, um, uh, uh, Booker T, when he went over there, he became, you know, a main event guy because he was feuding, you know, uh, with Christian for the Intercontinental title, you know, and then you right. know, he started to, and then when he went to SmackDown, he was involved in the U.S. Championship and started to become, you know, King Booker, eventually world champion then, uh, material, Eddie Guerrero, John wasn't, Cena. Wasn't yeah. the perception always, though, that when these guys got big on SmackDown, that sooner or later they were going to end up on Raw? I mean, when you saw the rise of Batista, didn't you think this guy, the minute he is this over, they're going to want him on Raw. That was always the first I had. That's true. That's true. But here's the thing, though. At least it created a platform for them to have that opportunity. I think what we see with Raw now with all this overkill, you see so many people on the Raw show that you have no opportunity to push a Barry Corbin. You have no opportunity to push an Apollo Crews. You have no opportunity to make Zack Ryder important other than winning WrestleMania, you know, uh, just a knee jerk, you know, booking, you know, and it's just, you, you don't have that opportunity when you just, I mean, cause like I say, SmackDown is raw light. I mean, there's no, I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I've actually watched SmackDown live every single time I watch it from my DVR and I'm just fast forwarding raw recaps and, you know, same matches over and over again. If I watch another Dean Ambrose versus Kevin Owens match, I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs. You know, and, and it's just over and over and over again. We, you know, Corbin and Ziggler. You know, uh, uh, the now the Usos in the club, and it's like 
it, it takes away from the payoff of the pay-per-view, you know, right. It, you know what I mean? Cause as, as traditional fans, as fans growing up and watching the product, the crescendo was at the pay-per-view and that's the reason and going into raw, that's the reason why I was so upset by the AJ turn. I think it was the most mistimed, ridiculous idea to turn AJ Styles at, on a Memorial Day Raw, which traditionally holiday Raws do lower numbers, and going head-to-head with a must-see Game 7 between Golden State and, uh, and uh, OKC. And wrestling fans, including myself, I was switching back and forth, but right. I, would, I would say the most, I would say mostly wrestling fans are going to go or are, are going to dismiss wrestling for the day and, and watch the game. You know, the, the game would be the first priority than a wrestling show. And why would you, and, and all this build up, you know, you had multiple pay-per-views to make this important, to make this something at the end of the pay-per-view show going into raw why would you use raw a a, a a low a traditionally lower you know a lesser viewed raw to turn AJ? It just really goes to show the importance that they have of of really making AJ someone. I, I think it was totally mistimed. You might be right about that, but I, I think there's just a feeling of desperation Monday night going into raw anyway, that they were going against NHL Stanley cup finals game one and NBA playoffs game seven. They figured we're getting killed on the left. We're getting killed on the right. All we've got is John Cena coming back. We got to do something big. What are we going to do? That's going to have people talking about something other than the NBA or the NHL on Tuesday morning at the water cooler. We'll turn it into styles. People will talk about that. They they just they they just reached down and grabbed whatever they could, and the club was already right there waiting for something like this to happen. They just mm-hmm. pulled the trigger, maybe too early, but they pulled it. Yeah, and here's a, and here's what here's what's worse to me. It, and again, it shows the level of importance to me. You kind of. And the the crazy thing is it kind of gets even lost in the shuffle because it wasn't even as important. It wasn't even important enough to close the show. You have just some type of throwaway match, six-man match, you know, of the participants of the Money in the Bank. That closes the show rather than something as, you know, potentially or, or intentionally shocking as AJ, you know, making the turn. It just, it just, I mean, I can understand that, at, you know, you're, you're having hard competition against the, the, the NBA finals, but here's the thing. Here's the, thing. the NBA finals didn't end until around 1130. Raw was over at that time. So by the time Raw was over, you know, the NBA finals was in the third quarter. So to me, it seems as if the best time, because, you know, sometimes I would imagine people watching at the beginning and the end, the finals at the beginning and the end the most. So why would you have a AJ turn basically at the beginning of the NBA finals, which would detract more viewers away from all to turn to the NBA finals? So, so it just seems like, it wasn't even right. It, w- it wasn't even written right on the card. 
I wouldn't disagree with you there because the timing that they do with these things always mystifies me anyway. Like during Monday night football season, when they try to plan angles for halftime, like John Smith is going to have the U S open challenge at halftime. Well, first of all, you're telling your viewers that the NFL is more important. So switch Mm -hmm. back over to that. and then come back at halftime. That's a bad way to promote your product. And second of all, who knows when that halftime is going to be with penalties and delays. So it could be sticking out right in the middle of the show where traditionally nobody would be watching because if you're a regular viewer of Raw, as you already said, people know the big angles are usually the beginning and the end. You you don't mm-hmm. normally expect one right in the middle. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I just, I really don't understand, you know, just the logic when it comes in the, in the booking and the writing. So, yeah, I mean, we're all really, which, wasn't really, which is the other reason. Yeah. Sorry if I'm interrupting. That's the other yeah. reason I think people are just worried about what they're going to do with this brand split. Because if you don't have any faith in the creative writing abilities of Ryan Ned Koski right now, just wait until they have to figure it all out with two entirely separate rosters. And I think that's why a lot of people are down on it. They're not giving it a chance because they don't see a reason to. Yeah. I, I would say the the positive in that is that Ryan and Ed have to bump heads uh, a lot of times now. I mean, I know that they still, you know, they're they're Raw and SmackDown, uh, you know, respectively. But I think they may have a little bit more freedom. Uh, and then Ryan, of course, we know a lot of well, we know, you know, some some don't. But Ryan Ward, he was a and he was the the writer for NXT before he got uh, when he moved up to SmackDown. And I um, mean, we see, you know. The, the gem that's been created from NXT. So, I, you know, I'm a little bit more positive on SmackDown than I am Raw, to be honest with you, uh, because Raw has just been so redundant. But, you know, maybe with different feuds, um, we'll see different. So that's a perfect time to segue into the flavor of the week uh, with the Raw draft. We'll be right back. It is now time for the flavor of the week. All right, so ten roll, ten smackdown. You got yours, Steve? Yes, I do. All right, so what we have for roll? Who's your Who's your ten? Well, since we were just talking about him, I got to start with AJ Styles. I mean. He's going to be, for better or worse, whether heel or face, he's going to be one of your hottest commodities on Raw. So he's got to stay there. I, I put him down number one with Bullock. He is phenomenal, and he's going to be phenomenal on Raw going forward. So AJ Styles will be my number one pick. Are we going back and forth, or am I giving my whole list? Uh, we can go back and forth. Uh, so for Raw, I have uh, the first pick is Roman Reigns. Um, just because, you know, it, it just it just makes sense for him to be uh, the face of Raw. And I think that um, created, doing some things creatively with Roman Reigns on Raw could spike up the, the numbers a little bit with some with some different feuds and not seeing the same matches over and over again. So um, I, I think if you really wanted to do something with Raw, I think a Roman Reigns official heel turn would be a, a perfect way to to really turn some heads for for, for Raw in this brand split. Well, I've got Reigns as my number two for Raw, but for a similar yet different reason. I think they've already invested in him at this point. 
and whether the fans are reacting to it positively or negatively, they are reacting to it. So I feel like even if it's not what we as fans might want, you might as well ride it the wheels fall off and see how far it goes. Because yeah. as long as people are reacting, you know, positive or negative, any reaction is a good reaction. So keep him on raw. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my number two would be Brock Lesnar. Um, just because I, you know, I think that uh, he'd be a, a pretty good number two draft pick and come out at the, you know, at this particular draft. Uh, I think it sets up some. I mean, just him overall just makes sense, and uh, it sets up some potentially interesting feuds. And I have, a, I have a ten, um, I have a, a ten must must see uh, feuds for uh, the next year, and I have him. Paired up against, uh, for some reason, I want to see Brock Lesnar against uh, Big Cass. I think that that, I mean, just I can just imagine Brock Lesnar against Big Cass and then Heyman and Enzo doing the talking for the two. That just, to me, that just, it just seems like it has money all over it. But, um, but I just think, I think Brock Lesnar overall, even is he probably won't go against Big Cass, but it does set up some good. Uh, some some potential feuds and, and something good going into SummerSlam because this uh, this uh, draft will be leading into um, you know Battleground and specifically the SummerSlam pay per view so it should be interesting. All right, my number three pick for Raw is Big Kevin Owens delivering the KO to anybody that gets in his way, whether that ends up being old rivalries or new rivalries after the draft. I think he's one of your workhorses one of your star players right now for whatever show he's on and I feel like he's connected with the audience on Raw and he should stay there mm-hmm. uh, speaking of connecting with the audience I'm not a big fan of this person my, my number three uh, pick but I think the connecting with the audience piece uh, makes him number three for me and that will be Dean Ambrose uh, I think that uh, just that just that infectious Type of connection he have with the audience can hopefully revive him, and he's so he's so much damaged goods right now, unfortunately. But maybe the split can kind of refresh him and being on Raw. I think that's a fair point, and uh, I'm I'm going to be moving guys around because of the refreshing aspect. But this guy, I'm not moving. Bray Wyatt, he stays on Raw. I think. In fact, I, I want to say the whole Wyatt family, but that may not be the way it works out. But you got to at least keep Bray because he's such a cult leader that even if he loses some of his disciples, he can always find more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Seamus would be my fourth pick just because I think he still brings that type of strong heel um perspective uh, that, that Raw would need. Not necessarily being a main event or a champion, but someone, you know, for like a Dean Ambrose or, or someone to feud against. Um, so he'll be the strong heel for Raw. All right. I'm going with my number five pick for Raw as Chris Jericho. And I realize that may be a risky pick because he's not a time performer, but I think we've established that even with them trying to make the two shows A level, they're still going to be A plus and A minus. And when you're talking about the A plus, you're going to want Chris Jericho on that show. You're not going to want him on the A two show or the A minus show. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. My fifth pick would be, would be Bray Wyatt. Um, and why not, man? Uh, make him a face. Uh, and, you know, uh, none of the other Wyatt family are in my top ten. But, you know, Luke Harper coming up and, and just, you know, being the 11th or 12th pick or something like that for Raw. And why not do Bray Wyatt versus Luke Harper at SummerSlam? That's that's one of my my desired matches this week. Well, you're going to do a split. That definitely be a way to go to make it interesting. But yep. my number six pick for Raw is going to be Darren Young. I feel hmm. like he's underutilized. I feel like there's more you can do with him if you're splitting up the roster. I think a singles push for him could really go places. Oh, I like it. Interesting. Uh, my number six is the New Day. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. There's not much to go into that. But I think them on Raw is a, is a good, it's, it's a good deal. See, I'm actually gonna keep them from my SmackDown roster, which we haven't done. But I feel like SmackDown needs the infectious enthusiasm of the New Day a little more. So hmm. they're not gonna be on my Raw list. My number seven, Raw. Since you're gonna have to keep some members of the Wyatts on one and some members of the Wyatts on the other. I'm picking Braun Strowman, and I'm not a personal fan of this guy. I'm not saying I'm putting him on the list because I think he's a great worker. I'm saying if you need somebody to do things with Bray Wyatt, that he's going to be your muscle for Bray. Yeah, I like that idea. Uh, yeah, we got about uh, three minutes, uh, so let's do. Uh, so uh, mine is uh, Dolph Ziggler as a heel. Uh, I like this type of heel thing he's doing now. Um, and I, I would talk about the refreshing piece. I would make him a heel on Raw. All right. Well, I, I know you want to speed it up a little since we're running low on time. So it will be the Usos. I think you're going to need a tag team to lead the other teams that come into Raw. You're going to have to keep somebody there that is established and knows what they're doing. Number nine would be Enzo and Big Cass. Since I'm picking teams, I'm going with them as well because they're the popping team right now, the one that's got everybody talking because of Enzo's promo skills and Big Cass's size because he can't take seven feet. So keep him there. And number 10 because he's a workhorse and can make anybody that they bring into the brand from NXT or developmental look good, Cesaro. Mm, nice. Uh, my number eight would be Charlotte, um, just, you know, for her to be on there to represent Raw. Dorio would be my number nine for that strong heel aspect. And then Jericho, similar, would be number ten. Not high, but still in the top ten. Um, you can just go through your uh, your full SmackDown list with, of course, some some small explanations. All right. Well, Cena, because obviously you need a star to anchor the show around. He's probably going to end up being your champion if they do two world champions. So start with Cena. I say the New Day because you need somebody that the crowd's really into. Their merchandise is flying off the shelves. They get great reactions. You got to put them on SmackDown and let them run with the ball. And I, I say Jack Swagger as a workhorse because he, like Cesaro, is a guy that can get the best out of people when he's in the ring with them. So put him on there. I say the VOD villains because I don't know if this is a failed experiment or not, but if it is an experiment, you want to put them on the show where they get a little more leeway to try to be whatever it is they're going to be. So send them to SmackDown. And I go with Kalisto on SmackDown as well because – that's it's been the brand that seems to attract the higher Hispanic audience in terms of their overall demographic. And you need that mm-hmm. kind of star 
to carry that show. I've got Dean Ambrose on SmackDown because he is the cult favorite. He is unstable. People are really into his wild and crazy gimmick right now. You need a strong heel. I put Alberto Del Rio on SmackDown. For the same reason, I put the Dudley Boys on SmackDown. They're great heels right now. I go with uh, Big Show because he can kind of work either way. He can be babyface or heel, and they could definitely use somebody that can float over to either side on a dime. And last but not least, I put Luke Harper on SmackDown. Nice. I got Cena for number one, just from, you know, he's the guy. I got Seth Rollins for, uh, for a second because, you know, he's one of the highest main eventers, uh, one of the most polarizing, you know, figures right now, one of the hottest commodities. Baron Corbin is three because uh, I think that he should be billed as one of the strongest heels on SmackDown. AJ Styles is number four on there just to, you know, give him that, that heel run, which I still think is mistimed. Uh, Rusev is number five. I think that he should be one of the strongest heels on SmackDown as well. Uh, I have Sami Zayn uh, as uh, sixth. Um, uh, just because I think that he, SmackDown can give him an opportunity to really shine as a babyface. Uh, I have uh, the, I have Anderson and Gallows uh, as seventh. Um, you know, just to kind of align with style. Cesaro is eighth. I think that he can be a really strong upper mid card babyface. I have Enzo and Cass as ninth for the reason why I have New Day uh, on Raw, just that excitement and, and charisma. And then I have Kevin Owens as 10th, uh, just because I think that if he, if he got a 10th pick on SmackDown, he can complain about being lower, so so low in the draft. <laughs> you know, he can be a storyline around it, so I think that would be fun. Uh, I like that. Right. I like that. Thanks, man. So, Steve, let us know about uh, Angry Marks. Yeah, it's been a wrestling website since the early 2000s, founded by a couple of friends of mine and I, but I'm the one that's left behind. Even though they're angrier than I am, I carry on the name and I carry on the legacy. And you can go to angrymarks.com for coverage of WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, New Japan, Chikara, Pro Wrestling, Gorilla, anything you can think of out there in the world of wrestling. We're going to talk about it, write about it, or do a podcast about it. You can find me on Twitter at angrymarks, and I also do writing for MMAmania.com and the Wrestling Observer. Awesome, man. Greatly appreciate you uh, being guest host tonight, Steve. I had a really good time, man. It's been my pleasure, and I want to come back and do it again when we got more time. Sounds good, man. For all all the people who are listening, thank you so much for being with us for episode 218. Until next week, enjoy your week of wrestling, and God bless. Goodbye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.